Hello and welcome to the first episode of Tell Me About the Podcast, a business podcast delivered in bite-sized chunks. My dad Paul will be working through the fundamentals of setting up your own business in a way that we, those that are just starting, stuck or thinking about starting, can easily digest. The first episode is a little different to the rest of the season as we are telling you about us. We set the scene and tell a little of our past experiences and why we decided to get this podcast-shaped ball rolling. We hope you enjoy! So dad, tell me about the early days of your life. Oh gosh, well, shall I pick it up uh, just as I was leaving school? Um, I was lucky not to get thrown out of school, if the truth be known. I was the drummer in a rock band and that was my entire world. Um, So I left school with one CSE and uh, enjoyed the band for many months after that until the realisation hit that there was no way I was ever going to make a living out of it and it was just a hobby that I'd had through school. I needed to make amends quickly, so went off to college, got some more O-levels, some A-levels, and then went off and studied uh, to become a chartered surveyor. I qualified in 1984 and set about um, a more productive life than perhaps the drumming would have taken me to. So when you got to that point, you started into the world of business? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so in 1984, I was able to start up my first company which was a consultancy looking after property management, property repair and the design of new buildings. It wasn't, if I'm honest, a career that I could see myself staying with for the rest of my life. I found many levels of frustration working in consultancy in that uh, area but we had certain degree of success. We were able to find some niche areas that nobody else had entered and provide services to the health industry in particular. Um, And during the course of the first four or five years of trading, um, a particular client that I had at the time, a a private individual, um, saw the potential in what we were doing and and the scalability of it and uh, decided that they wanted to invest in the company. So, um, So I was able to sell a part of the business and that introduced me to the idea of starting building and selling small companies and I realized that that actually was my thing that's what I really wanted to do with my career. It's super lucky that you had that client that was willing to invest not sure how you would have done it if you hadn't because you didn't have LinkedIn or social media or anything to promote yourself otherwise back in the no in the uh, in the, the heyday <laughs> that's right yes in those days of sort of 85 to 90 the internet was a a thing that we were reading a bit about but uh, it certainly wasn't figuring in in my business at that time um the uh, computers were starting to come in, uh, in in this period and frankly the facts arrived and went in fairly quick succession during that period as well. Um, uh, but no, we were, we were working, as I see it now, from the ease with which one can promote oneself and build a brand, we were working with our hands tied behind our back in those old days and it really was about print advertising event attendance and networking through one's clients and one's contacts mm. and we're not we're not far away but we're not in London either this isn't a, a small town in the countryside that's right yes quite parochial really and that did place certain limits on what we were able to do but that was something that I, I could find a way around we did that by again perhaps bucking the trend for small companies in that field 
where normally they would just look for one client to refer them to another and slowly grow their consultancy practice in that method. Um, we actually took the offer of the company to various different shows. I remember we did a county show once where uh, we actually took along a, uh, my father-in-law's caravan at the time and we had him build up some brickwork. He was a bricklayer. We had him build up some brickwork and I set out a theodolite over the top of it and we had a desk with some leaflets on and we picked up a number of interesting contacts there and I would attend... Um, national exhibitions uh, relating to uh, property and construction, looking for a wider range of contacts. And indeed, that's how we found our way into various different hospital contracts um, around the country. So you discovered your thing. What happened after that? Well, I, I pursued my thing, as it were. I, I looked, first of all, to find something else to do um, outside, completely outside of the professional consultancy in the property industry that I had been working in up until that point. Um, with the partner that I had at the time, we established a, a software business, which was about building systems to satisfy needs we could see within um, particularly the, the National Health Service. Um, I was at um, a, a hospital not far from where our office was, and um, uh, I was walking down a corridor to a meeting with the property department relating to some design work we'd been doing on a new building for that particular hospital. And I was walking past the offices of the um, information manager and I saw him um, swearing as he was getting a very sore thumb pushing coloured pins into a map on the wall. And I sort of double-checked and instantly thought to myself, well, hold on, that's something that we could do within the computer-aided design systems which we've got. We just substitute the background plans for maps and put points on them, surely. So I just backtracked and knocked on the door and said, I can do that in a computer. And to cut a very long story short, that gentleman was extremely interested in what I had to say, the ideas that were put forward and worked with us over the space of about a year to develop a what was called a geographic information system where we were able to interpret databases onto maps. We started doing that using a computer-aided design system to start with and then invested in the uh, construction from scratch of our own, what's, what was called then a graphics engine, which could substitute the CAD system and be proprietary software that we could then license to National Health Service hospitals around the country, which led us into emergency services, which led us into primary care, public health, independent health, pharmaceutical, um, both here and to a certain extent in the US. And uh, that was great fun. That was all about the building up part of that particular business. Um, and that, that ultimately led to the construction of one particular product uh, where a competitor came along and said, you're disrupting this market too much, we need you out of the way. And um, they made me an offer for that particular part of our business. So we'd again successfully started, built and sold um, a business. There's a couple of failures along the way, always going to be the case, you can't get it right every time. I think it's very important to know when you're staring down the barrel of failure and deal with that positively. And I know in future episodes we'll, we'll come across topics like that and get into those in a bit more detail. But I certainly didn't have it easy all the time. There's a lot of difficulties that arose that had to be worked through. And 
where a lot of the learning came from for some of the future episodes of Start, Build and Sell that I got involved with after that. And it was when you were in uh, America and doing that kind of, um, what they, were the, the shows that you used to do and whatnot, is that where you met um, your current business partner? Uh, yes, yeah, I met the current guy that I still work with now in the US. Um, he's very uh, useful uh, and helpful to me, something of a mentor as well as a business partner. We spend a lot of time talking about approaches to business and sharing an Anglo and American viewpoint to come up with hybrid approaches to, uh, we've got two or three businesses that we're partners in now. Um, and uh and yes, uh, other people that I met as well along the way at exhibitions who we ended up working with to try and help them to fulfill their potential and their business's potential. And, and again, a mixture of successes and failures came through that, but all the time continuing to learn what are the what is the essence of starting up a business that's got a chance of success and what is the process one has to go through to try and get it to fulfill its potential. So after finding your thing and setting up and whatnot, you made uh, a quite big sale around 2010 and that led you into what you're doing now. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah, so um, so I had the opportunity to step back at that stage and reevaluate where I was, what I wanted to do next. Um, I by that time had four or five different experiences in starting, building and and selling small businesses and um, wasn't sure that I wanted to continue, felt that it might be time at that stage to consider more of an environment in which I'm giving back rather than taking out. I didn't certainly didn't have any ambitions to retire and, and still don't. I personally don't believe in retirement if the definition of that is to stop completely something that you're good at and useful at and you can make a contribution through. I feel it's very important to keep going to the very end. If you're good at something, keep doing it. You don't have to necessarily try and earn money doing it, but keep doing it. So so retirement in the traditional sense of the word never never really figured in my head. Um, so I, I, I took a bit of time out, um, dusted off my set squares, designed and built a house for, for me and your mother. Um, that was great fun for a couple of years. Then we had a chance to go and um, basically play in uh, South Florida through the connections I'd made in business. We got a visa for a couple of years and went over there and just lived a, a great fun lifestyle, which was terrific. And then um, when I came back to the UK, sort of around 20. 13, 14, something like that, um, I decided that I wanted to be a business angel, a term that can be easily thrown away these days, I think. It, uh, it had a greater meaning 10, 15 years ago than it perhaps does today. Um, my, in, my, my definition of being a business angel is to mentor entrepreneurs, to help them make the fundamental decisions about go, no-go with their idea, and to help them understand what's, what it's going to be like to go through the process to try and prepare them such that they won't have any surprises when they get into the, the, the actual doing of whatever their business plan is. I have a network of uh, accountants and solicitors both here in the UK and in Florida who from time to time will introduce me to people um, who they can't help because they would need to charge a fee. 
I'll always help everybody who comes to me. Sometimes it can be a a quick conversation on the phone. I will realize very quickly what the issues might be, uh, where the rocks on their path are, and uh, give them some ideas on whether those rocks are bustable, and if so, how to bust them down so they can move forward. Sometimes we'll go on further than that, and I'll help to review and polish business plans for people such that they could take them off. I can introduce people to investors, and where I see great potential, great enthusiasm, um, all of the basics in place, then from time to time I'll provide some seed capital to individuals, really such that they can experiment with their business ideas. Okay, so all of that kind of makes everyone understand why we're doing a business podcast but tell me what we're going to be kind of discussing um, and where you think this is going ahead. So what I hope we can do is is provide some uh, food for thought for anybody contemplating becoming an entrepreneur or should I say fulfilling their entrepreneurial dreams. I don't think one becomes an entrepreneur. There isn't a point that you can say you've passed that, therefore you are an entrepreneur. I think you're an entrepreneur from the moment you start to think outside of the idea that the only way you can earn a living and or make a contribution is by working for somebody else. The moment that you think that you can find something to do which is innovative, doesn't necessarily need to be new, it can be a variation on a theme as we see many cases in the high street, online, in apps, um, all the various different areas in which a startup might focus. Um, I think the entrepreneurial spirit is something which isn't inherent in everybody, but where it is, it's always bubbling under. The likelihood is that if you're going to be an entrepreneur at some stage in your life, even at school, you were thinking about how you could how you could do something that would bring in money for yourself, or you could see opportunities in the playground, selling conkers, or writing a newsletter, or I don't know, buying and selling things, whatever it might have been. I hear of lots of youngsters doing that, and I think they they haven't recognised at that stage their entrepreneurial spirit, but clearly it's evidenced by their actions at that early early stage. So one of the areas for me that's of great interest that I hope we can get into will be that of self-exploration. The questions I think people should be asking of themselves before they progress with an entrepreneurial idea. I also feel very strongly about teams, building teams, motivating teams, managing teams. Teams that are good are greater than the sum of their parts and it's the best way for small businesses to become something bigger than than they seem to be on paper is by having excellent teams working solidly together in the most efficient way so that they can deliver much greater as I say than the sum of their parts. I think the startup process is very important breaking down the barriers, dispelling the myths getting onto the page of reality about what could happen and the ways in which one can have the best shot at avoiding those things that are negative and maximizing time on those things which are positive. And also the general heading of business fundamentals. This is so important. I see so many people go off too quickly 
it's like they shoot before they aim and then wonder why they didn't get anywhere, wonder why their life is just one of great frustration that their business is not being recognised for what it is, nobody's buying their product or service. Business fundamentals like cash flow, uh, boring, boring topic, I know, but we've got to get into it and it's got to be understood by anybody contemplating a startup. How much cash do you need? Where is the cash coming from? How fast does it flow? How do you manage the people who owe you money against the people you owe money to? Cash is king. There can be no doubt about that. I think another fundamental is what I call plan, fix, do, and then execute with speed, not haste. I think the potential for procrastination and deviation is very high in the entrepreneurial end. It's important to spend time planning what one's going to do, fix that plan and get on and do it until either the plan itself proves to be wrong or some externality impacts on on the plan and you've got to rethink it in part or whole. But I see so many people who start off in one direction and just can't stop themselves. They want to continually polish their product or polish their service or tinker with their website or fool around with the nature of their service and before you know it nobody knows quite what they're offering everybody's getting something slightly different no brand is being built no um, reputation of the products or services being created and again it can easily be a cause of failure and I think from a marketing standpoint one of the other very important aspects for me which has got lots of subtopics in it is marketing and the need to speak to customers' needs, the need to adopt a language which is simply that which the customers speak and make sure that one's clear and concise in marketing messages. Um, Old school marketing has its role to play as well as the digital marketing world we live in now of social media and influence, etc. So really want to get into those, those things particularly um, during the course of this series of podcasts with you, Beth. Amazing. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast with you is not only because of your business brain and the the guidance that you've given me over the last few years or my siblings and other relatives and whatnot and how I think that that would be great to spread out to the world, but also because you're great at telling just a general story. So um, I'm going to make you put in some of these stories throughout the podcast. But um, for the first one, let's go back to the days when you were a, a drummer in a rock band and um, tell me a little bit about the surprise visit that you had. Ah, yes, so I think you're referring to the, uh, the visit we had from a well-known rock star. I was rehearsing with the band in an old shed The door opened, there were no windows, a silhouette at the door made its way into the shed. The door closed behind what we then knew to be a hymn. As he approached the stage, we recognised it to be Lemmy from Motorhead. We were going to a Motorhead gig that night at the local technical college. Turns out that whenever he was in town for a gig, he would like to get in early and go out and find local bands and go and visit them. He spoke for a short period of time with us all. We jammed for about 30 seconds or a minute with him. The bass guitarist was in total awe of the fact that Lemmy had played his guitar. Um, Lemmy 
said his goodbyes and left us. It was the shortest period of time, but so inspirational. We seemed to find a complete another gear in our accuracy, the tightness of the band, our enthusiasm for what we were doing just for those few minutes spent in the presence of the greatness that was Lemmy. We went to the gig that night, thoroughly enjoyed ourselves and not only saw Motorhead and Lemmy on stage for what they were that night, but the lasting impact that his time and attention and kind words had had on us. And and it was a great example of how the little things you do in life can have the greatest effect. Anyway, that's enough from me at the moment, Beth. Tell us a little bit about you. Why, why are you involved in this podcast? Not as um, much to talk about for me. Um, so I, I did stay in school and do my GCSEs and A-levels and then went to university to study photography at Nottingham Trent, which was had a lot of fun being at university and I enjoyed my course and what Nottingham had to offer me but didn't really see myself progressing into a career in photography there was an uh, area that drew me in to spend the rest of my life doing it during my photography course I developed a range of wallpaper with a company company called Anstey in Loughborough um, which was a fascinating process getting uh, tours of the factory seeing how they mixed the paint made the rollers and made all of the wallpaper I even got to see some William Morris um, like the old school stamps that he used to use when he was making his wallpaper and then making them I didn't know that. It was an Amstey-made William Morris wallpaper. Yeah, and, and in the upstairs of the factory, they had the big stamps on kind of runners and they had the wallpaper laid out and then they were stamping to a grid and lifting it up, moving it along, stamping. Just two guys just constantly making old school William Morris wallpaper. After developing wallpaper, I decided that photography wasn't going to be my thing and moved into studying interior and spatial design um, at Chelsea College of Arts, which was a very conceptual course. There wasn't very much teaching of the software for example but there was a lot of teaching on critical thinking um use taking what we had designed developed whatever and really pulling it apart and working out why we did it when we like why we did it in that specific way or that place or that time or and really thinking about every single aspect of the design after my master's, I came back here to live with you guys, mum and dad, um, and had a short stint working for John Lewis as a home designer, which um, then allowed me to go for lots of interviews and get an internship at a large interior design practice. They did a lot of hospitality design all around the world with some big names, um, some St. Regis, Waldorf Astoria, uh, cruise ships, some residential, some bars, some restaurants and whatnot. The internship was a real deep dive into everything because I didn't have the knowledge in the software. I had to learn all of that on the job as well as learning how to be an interior designer. But I was there for just over three years and worked my way up to mid-weight and then COVID hit and I was made redundant and I walked into another role at a smaller practice which was way more hands-on 
diving into the deep end and having to sink or swim basically and I managed to swim for a year and a half and it was very intense but my portfolio grew hugely over that time and I got to design different types of projects in other countries than I had had designed before um, for various levels of clients so not just hotel operators like Hilton St Regis for example but for independent um, owners and working directly with clients so really grew my skill set there. The company that I am at now um, has a lot slower pace and this has allowed me to really go back to where I was when I was designing the wallpaper um, during my degree and look into my Etsy shop which has been running in the background throughout the last nearly five years of my career Um, and I've added some more products to it and I'm developing a new range of items and whatnot and so this podcast is going to be great for me as well to ask you the questions that pop up when I'm in this part of my journey to be self-employed I think I'm still a couple maybe a year or two away from being self-employed but I might as well ask all the questions now and be (laughs) prepared for it so um, let me ask you this I, I was talking earlier on about the point at which entrepreneurial spirit starts to show itself where would you say was the the first point that you recognized that you could start something make something originate something put a put your own plans your own original thinking into action so actually when you were talking about that and the selling things on the um school playground and whatnot I actually got mum to buy sweets in Costco and sold them to my schoolmates on the playground (laughs) so I guess that was a good beginning (laughs) Um, um, I guess the wallpaper was my main start into it I would say that that wasn't a successful process but I feel like the process was very enlightening but the selling I'm not so good at which is something I need to learn Well, that's an interesting point that we can get into in a future episode. Um, The idea that what you develop has to be what a market needs. Um, There's a lot that can be gotten, and I know you learned a huge amount from the process of having to make your designs and fix your designs and work with the producers of the wallpaper. Um, And and the, the designs may or may not be have been of their time but the point is that in in there is a lesson that is so important to take forward and that is to provide what a market needs rather than create something which one feels is what the market might need it's a very difficult um, line to 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 follow with any great accuracy and market research may well be what we're saying is needed in these situations. And again, we can talk a little bit about that as we go forward. But it's important for everybody, and, and, and you as well, Beth, to recognise that failure is a point on the path of success. And even though you feel that the sales end of the wallpaper experience uh, could have gone better, um, I think that it was an extraordinarily successful project for you, 
I know I was very proud to see you get on and do that at the tender age you were at at the time and hold down your degree work, your undergraduate degree work. Um, so, so I think it was a great success for everything that you got out of it. And the, the key lesson to take forward would be understanding the importance of market research. Yeah, I agree that it was it was a great experience. Um, and I think maybe if I hadn't been studying and moving and whatnot, it would have had more time to focus on the selling and aspect. So yeah, I think my um, uh, journey into being self-employed is going to start speeding up after this year. This year is a very big year for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dad's going to be a grandparent again, mm-hmm. and I'm getting married. Um, so I think I'll be at the stage in my life where I'm looking to not be commuting as much or working for someone. And so, yeah, we're going to learn a lot on this podcast. Great. Good. Well, I'm sure that you're going to be very successful in whatever you choose to do. And what we'll try to do is to answer the important questions before you make the leap. Because if you try and answer all the questions, you'll never leap. You have to identify what are the important points, rationalise those, decide upon the level of risk you're going to take, and just do it. And I think there's so many people out there who are frustrated entrepreneurs because they keep themselves locked away in the thinking stage. Mm -hmm. They either don't have the ability to make the leap or they're too scared to make the leap, or they just don't know where to start. And I very much hope that we'll be able to get into things that will give people uh, an understanding of how to overcome some of those barriers to self-employment, barriers to fulfilling their entrepreneurial spirit. So I've been an interior designer for nearly five years now, I think. Um, And... I think only last year I found out about AutoCAD and the relation that you have with AutoCAD. So please, can you tell me that story or tell everyone that story? Yes, well, um, yes, it was, it, was, it, it was interesting to see AutoCAD as a computer-aided design system figuring in your work uh, in, uh, in 2020, 2021 uh, period. In, 90, in the late 1980s, AutoCAD... I think I'm right in saying, pretty much just arrived on the UK shores. It had been built in the US by Autodesk and um, as a system had created a certain um, wave within um, architecture, engineering industries um, and also CAD, CAM, computer-aided design, computer-aided manufacturing, which was starting to become a thing in those days. I had discovered it through seeing a, um, an architectural practice in London, using it to um, portray their designs for the London City Airport, short takeoff and landing airport, um, where they actually created the presentation that um, was to be used for the purposes of, of planning, um, obtaining planning consent, uh, was a, a, a 3D visualisation of all the terminal buildings and the runway and the, the general layout of the site, uh, seen from the cockpit of a plane landing at London City Airport. And this was revolutionary. We'd never seen anything like this before. 
Um, and I, it, it caught my attention and I investigated it and um, much to your mother's disgust, took out a second mortgage on, on the house and bought two what today would just be seen as clunky old desktop computers. But bought two uh, computer units and two licenses for AutoCAD. Um, went through the training and set about providing services to customers where our drawing output was computer produced rather than the traditional manual production of these drawings. And we very quickly got into a, another interesting business which was around providing CAD drawings of existing buildings to architectural practices to prevent them or save them the trouble of going out and doing measured surveys and producing their own existing drawings. And we were able to do that again within the health service. Um, the biggest project we did in that regard was Great Ormond Street. In those days, Great Ormond Street Hospital had 33 separate buildings, including its principal hospital location. And um, myself and a, a small team spent about two years um, on and off measuring every wall, every door, every window, every feature and putting it into a set of CAD drawings from which Great Ormond Street led the way in health service facilities management. So it's a long way of saying that um, my little practice in the 1980s possibly was a catalyst to CAD in the practices that you've worked in 40 years later being mainstream in the UK. Pretty cool. I wish I was better at using AutoCAD. It feels like I should be really good at using AutoCAD because of that, but I'm not. Well, I think that's all we can say about ourselves for now. I'm looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty of the business world with you, Dad. Good. Well, I'm very much looking forward to it. I hope that um, whatever um, modest listenership we might attract to it will will be able to give us a steer on what they think are the most interesting things and perhaps put some of their ideas and difficulties, issues, aspirations to us as well and we can start to address some real-time real circumstances uh, and see how much help we can be in that regard as well. Thank you for listening to our first episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Please like and review and head to our Instagram at tellmeaboutpod and our website www.tellmeaboutpod.com to keep updated. And shortly we'll be asking for any business related questions you may have for dad that will be answered in an upcoming episode. Please leave these questions on our Instagram post or in the form on the website. See you next week where dad will be telling me about why we would want to be self-employed.